Welcome to Bookship Bethel. I am Anne-Marie Koyster in the History Department, and I am joined by... Carrie Peffley in the Philosophy Department. So this week we're doing something a little different. We're kind of reflecting on what it's been like to do this podcast for the last 44 and now 45th episode. But then we're also going to do a little mini version of the kind of podcast we asked our students to create around our theme of COVID and catastrophe. What does human nature look like? According to Sam Mulberry, our producer, we have um, made 44 episodes of Bookish, and this is now episode 45. So what, what did we think we were trying to do when we um, started Bookish at Bethel? And have we done it, Carrie? Yeah. So, I mean, my recollection is that we were, well, not just recollection. I know for sure that we were very inspired by Chris Gertz and Sam Mulberry, um, who encouraged a lot of people to think about podcasting as a way to um, make relationships um, and, and connections across disciplines to really engage with students inside and outside of the classroom and, and in, in non-traditional ways. And that especially you, Anne-Marie, were very inspired um, by some of the things that they said and thought that yes. this could be an interesting addition to our humanities program. Well, and I remember that one of the things that I felt very strongly about and actually still feel strongly about was this idea that if we do think that what we're doing is good, if we do think that the humanities program has merit, if we think that the books that we're reading are worth thinking about and making connections with, then why not let the public know more broadly what we're doing as a way of maybe dispelling false perceptions about what is going on at Bethel? And I think we have exactly, I mean, we absolutely have done. If people wanna know what's happening in a humanities class, there are 44, going on 45 episodes of here's what's happening in humanities classes. Yes, we do read Freud. Yes, we read Nietzsche, but we are also reading someone like Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King, as well as Augustine, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think we are sort of holding faithful to the mission of Bethel, even while we're holding faithful to the idea behind a liberating arts educational experience. Right, right. Yes, part of it was like, how can we sell what we do and let people know what we are doing? And I think that really is twofold, that it's to people who are maybe a little bit nervous about some of the texts that we teach and the way in which they may challenge people um, to sort of assuage some of those fears and give context for it all. But then also to kind of defend the humanities. Here's mm -hmm. what the humanities do. Here are the sorts of things we talk about and kind of sell the program. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'd say um, some of the benefits, I remember the very first uh, couple of episodes that we put out, we got feedback from humanities alum, alums who were like, oh, it's so great to listen to what you guys are doing in the program. So it's a way not only for us to connect with other faculty in the program and maybe students who are currently in the program, but also with students who are no longer in the program, but remember the program and, you know, maybe remember it fondly. Yes. And that leads me to, I suppose, two things as I reflect back on the past year and a half. Um, when we started, and still to this day, 
I am always nervous before we start these podcasts because I just <laughs> always think, why does anybody care what I think about this? This is so like I'm nobody. Um, and yeah, I'm a good I'm a good teacher, but why do people care? And so I was immediately shocked that we had alums who had graduated from the program so long ago who were saying, This is amazing. I love listening to this. And it just was really encouraging but shocking. Um to realize, oh no, this is this is really interesting stuff and it's worth talking about. And students who go through the program continue to be interested in these sorts of questions. Well, and a little shout out to Dr. Moore, who like is a, I know he is a faithful listener of the show. And it's really it's lovely to hear him say, Oh, that was a great episode. And I I just think, oh yeah, I mean, because I feel the same, right? Like mm-hmm. who really cares? But um <laughs> Besides my, my husband who listens to the show very faithfully as well. So again, credit to Tim, but um, yeah, it's great to know that we're connecting with other folks who actually do care. And I love that Sam always says we raise the profile of the Bethel podcasts at mm-hmm. Bethel in terms of the um, academic content, maybe a little bit. Right. Because it would be interesting to look back at not just how many books have we talked about in terms of course content, <laughs> But how many books have we recommended Mm -hmm. um, since we talk about whatever book we're reading for the week, plus at least probably three additional books a week? Or to be fair to Eric, music. (laughs) Or music, yes. Anyway, but yeah. So I'd say I'm pretty pleased with Bookish. Um, It's almost always my favorite part of the week. Mm -hmm. I love love talking to Carrie Puffley. Let's be honest. Yes. And I love talking to Anne-Marie Koistra. And like I said, I'm always super nervous before we get started. And then we start and I'm like, oh, this is the most fun thing ever. I love it so much. Yeah, no, that's true. So yeah, so I think, I, go ahead, Carrie. I, I would say the same thing that I'm very pleased. I'm, I'm impressed with us. I feel like we deserve a, a, a pat on the back um, for successfully doing a, essentially a weekly podcast, which I thought at the beginning was a pretty significant undertaking to not start with the monthly or bi-weekly, but doing a weekly one. And that it's been interesting and fun. And I feel really, really pleased with, with how it's gone. Yeah. So what do you think that you have learned as a result of doing these podcasts? Well, so what I've learned, I think the, the biggest thing about myself and maybe about my teaching style um, that I am much better at freewheeling than I give myself credit for. And that actually some of the best things aren't planned out um, that we can do. I, I'm a person, I'm a little OCD. And so I like to sort of plan out things really, really clear, have outlines, know what I'm going to say. Um, some of my classmates when I was in college said that I never said anything, but they knew that when I raised my hand, I expected to be profound and wow them. Like I only wanted to talk if I had something really important to contribute. And I think that holds me back in many ways. And so I think this has stretched me in, in really good ways to, to just kind of think out loud with people about ideas. It's not my natural tendency, um, but I think it's been, I've learned a lot about myself and about how I can improve um, by doing this. What about you? I think that this show has made me a better listener because I am uncomfortable with silence. So I often will jump in before somebody has a chance to finish a sentence. And I think that listening to the first couple of episodes early on, I realized, oh, 
I really need to listen and pay attention so I can be a good conversation partner. A good conversation partner isn't about just talking. It's about listening. Mm -hmm. So, oh, and Sam is just blasting to us that we've had over 4,500 total downloads. Wow. So thank you listeners. Yeah. That makes us feel good. Oh, that's, that's very exciting. That's a lot of downloads. That is. Mm -hmm. Um, I am wondering what, do you have like a favorite moment from the show over the last 45 episodes? Yeah. I mean, the one that jumps to mind immediately was, I mean, we just are coming off of doing last week's episode with the other humanities cohort and that Christmas episode. I loved the Christmas episode we did last year with our team. Mm -hmm. It was just so much fun um, to interact with everyone on the team all at once and find out. I mean, I thought people did such a great job of selecting books for each other or presents for each other. Um, I learned about Rushika that she had been a DJ um, in college. So um, the things I learned about people that I just didn't expect. Yeah. I think my favorite moment was, and I don't remember what episode it was, but I sort of think it was when we were discussing Burke and Payne and we had Dan Ritchie on. And Dan Ritchie actually said he would vote for Carrie Puffley, Philosopher King. Do you remember this? I do. Flaming conservative going, I would vote for flaming liberal. Yes. Philosopher King, Carrie Puffley. That was maybe one of my favorite moments. Mm hmm. So. That's right. Thank you for reminding me about that. That oh, was that should that, probably go on like a pin or something. Dan Richards, does. he would vote for me. I don't uh-uh. know. Absolutely. Well, that episode was really great too because I remember he also pulled out like a special signed copy of a Bur- a very old Burke edition that he had right, and he brought it to the podcast recording because the man loves Burke so much. Oh, that's it. it there's so many good moments though. Mm-hmm. Well. Carrie, shall we pivot a little bit to the second part of what we planned actually for today? Yeah. Yeah. And I think they, they connect as I was thinking about our, our podcast idea for this week. I think they really do connect because as we reflect back on how it's gone over the past year and a half, um, we have as a result given our students a final project, which is to reflect back on the humanities program by creating a podcast of their own. Um, that's at least Anne-Marie, does that sound right that's to you? Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to figure out, so the, should I explain, I suppose, yes. what the students are doing? So they are working in groups to create their own podcast and it's going to be texts that are thematically connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so say a theme of journey and then what texts might go along with the, the stories of journeys that we've read. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're turning these in and next week they will be the, the winner, the best of the podcasts will be our podcast for next week. So we decided we should look at our own theme and try to do it um, with, with just the two of us trying to think of our own theme. So we came up with, and Anne-Marie, correct me if I'm wrong, the theme of COVID and catastrophe. Yes. COVID right? and catastrophe, human nature in the light of COVID and catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And so Carrie, you got to start us off with Thucydides, right? Yes. Yeah. So as I was going for my run the other day, <laughs> and right now I'm in quarantine. So I'm being very, very careful because I don't want to bring the, the COVID back to my parents. 
Um, and so I'm even running with a mask neck gaiter up over my mouth. Oh, that is an intense experience. Yeah. It's doable, but it is less pleasant than, than normal running. Um, and so because I was running with this neck gaiter over my mouth and nose, and I was looking at a lot of other runners and pedestrians and cyclists out with this, just how much the, the situation has changed, the way we interact with each other. It made me think immediately of Thucydides and his comments on human nature and the plague. And um, get ready to so, be depressed, everybody. Get ready to be, <laughs> yes, be, yes. be depressed. But, yeah, super depressed. Because of course, the in our particular edition that we use in the humanities program, Thucydides' comments come right after Thucydides praises the Athenians for being freedom-loving and patriotic and democratic and good and noble. And I mean, you can essentially build the, the the sort of skeleton of a good democracy from all of the things that Thucydides says about Athenians. And then the plague comes and <laughs> reveals that human nature um, is, is maybe not as good as, as what he had said before um, or, or that bad times or, or catastrophes reveal human nature in a way that good times don't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these folks were freedom loving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so noble. Yeah. Yeah. As, as he had thought. Um, and so I, I found one particular section that I just think is so, again, something that I think about as we, as I hear people talk about how difficult this time is and how much we have to give up and, and all of these sorts of things. Um, I mean, he first of all, just talks about the fact that um, the most terrible feature in what was going on is the dejection that happens yeah. when people feel themselves getting sick, the despair that takes over, that then on the one hand, people are afraid to visit each other and then perish from neglect. Right. Or if they ventured to visit each other, then they died. Right. Um, and the realization that, okay, there's really no great move to make. And then there are people who then just engaged in what he calls lawless extravagance. So he says, right. men now coolly ventured on what they had formerly done in a corner. Mm-hmm. And not just as they pleased, seeing the rapid transitions produced by persons in prosperity suddenly dying and those before who had nothing succeeding to their property. So they resolved to spend quickly and enjoy themselves. Yes. Perseverance was popular with none. And it's just, it, it sort of highlights the things that were always there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is more deeply embedded in human nature. Yeah. Was, was there one potential bright light though, with, with sort of some religious folks or something or somebody was doing something selfless? Yeah. He, he talks about the encouragement from, especially, I I think there's something that he says about the religious folks, but also the people who have gotten the illness and then recovered that they, that that's where you saw true compassion. Okay that the people who had survived this deadly malady are now taking care of other people and acting so selflessly. And yeah, that there is, there are some bright spots, but overall it's, it's kind of bleak. Yeah. Don't, don't read this. If you're already depressed, <laughs> yeah. this is really the lesson from that, that, that source. Well, so then I had Henry V from humanities too, because um, the catastrophe there is war. And I was thinking about, okay, what, what does this particular uh, play have to say about human nature? And I thought, 
I think one of the things that stood out to me as I was reviewing this is this idea that Henry has this realization that his personal glory in the time of chaos of war does rely on the cooperation of others. I think if there is something that's kind of genius about Henry V, it's like he does realize that he wants personal glory, but that he can't do it wholly by himself. And so there is, of course, the famous rallying speech as they're moving into the Battle of Agincourt, where he extols his soldiers to fight with him as a band of brothers, because as we fight today, we therefore are going to be brothers. And if you shed your blood today, you're my brother. So there's this great, like, that's obviously very savvy, but it's also lovely, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can sort of interpret Henry as a little bit Machiavellian. Oh, yeah. doing what he needs to do to, to rally the troops. But there's also something amazing about a shared catastrophic experience right. to, um, to bring people together. And then I think, too, what's also very interesting in this play, and I, I do think this is very interesting about Shakespeare, is that as you have conquered France and you're drawing up the peace terms, I mean, obviously, this is a huge tragedy. It's chaotic for the French. And yet, Shakespeare depicts Henry V as, again, wooing his alliance with Catherine. Mm -hmm. And that's such a famous and interesting um, last scene in the final act where instead of just like taking charge, we're getting married Too bad sister. I don't care if you don't like it. Instead, again, I think there is this um, realization in his character that it's better to sort of woo one's, you know, um, partners rather than just fully and now he does do some conquering too i'm not going to pretend that's not the case i mean there's the killing the boy uh, you know killing the uh the the soldiers and so on and so forth but mm -hmm. still it's kind of a fascinating thing so right right yeah because in in many ways the that final act of henry v jumps out as very odd mm -hmm. um but i i think you're right read through that particular lens that we need to cooperate even in conquest and yeah. and and battle and yeah. And depending on who's playing Catherine in some ways, she almost comes across as the person doing the conquering. Yes. Yes, okay. absolutely in control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Carrie, switching now to hum humanities three, mm -hmm. or did you have something more to say about Shakespeare? No, no, no. no okay. I was just thinking that's a, that's a great part to sort of shift into. Oh, and I suppose I should have said, we, we selected a text from each. Um, right. the humanities. Our students are theoretically doing. Yes, exactly. So our humanities three entry is Voltaire's Candide, um, because <laughs> as everyone who has read it knows, it's nonstop catastrophe. It's just um, catastrophe. I mean, you can't even, it's not like with Thucydides, you've got the plague and some war. Um, and Henry V, you've got war and conquering, but Candide, it's raping, pillaging, religious wars, inquisitions, slavery, slaughter, STDs, <laughs> um, all, all, every manner of catastrophes visited on these poor folks. Um, and a plague is just one of the many catastrophes they have to deal with. One of the things I love about this particular text is the juxtaposition between Pangloss and Martin mm -hmm. in terms of how do we kind of think about and process 
when bad things are happening all around us and we feel kind of out of control that that things are happening beyond our our power to do anything about it and you've got dr pangloss who's our leibnizian philosopher it's it no this is somehow the best of all possible worlds um all will be well he has a trite explanation for everything um and sometimes a maddeningly um but also humorously uh simple explanation for everything. Why do we have noses? For our glasses. Um, Why do we have legs? Because we want to put pants on them. Why did God allow STDs? So that Europeans could eat chocolate, right? I mean, all of these kind of hysterical explanation, it's all in God's plan. So let's not worry about it because this is the best of all possible worlds. Then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got Martin, Um, who's kind of a nihilist and says, look, it all sucks and there's nothing we can do and there is no meaning and there's, there's absolutely nothing. And, you know, Candide who begins under the influence of Pangloss ends up realizing at a certain point, no, Pangloss is naive. Um, Optimism is the idea that all will be well when everything is absolutely not well. Mm -hmm. But he also pushes back at Martin and ends up, saying we must cultivate our garden, which I think is a delightfully ambiguous, we got to do what we need to do. And it's not clear what, like that there's a great meaning to anything, but also it's clear that we shouldn't give up. Yeah. No, I always quote Ecclesiastes to my students when we're reading through uh, Voltaire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, I think this past time around, I had them listen to a radio lab episode called I think it's called the bad episode um, and it's all about the problem of evil and suffering and and human nature I would recommend it to our listeners it's fascinating it talks about the the Milgram experiments Hmm. and then sort of jumps off into um, thinking dwelling on the evil that is in the world and the the evil that is in all of us in our in our nature again this is bleak but there you go well okay and so then this brings us to humanities four and I thought T.S. Eliot was a good one in part because T.S. Eliot is writing kind of in the chaos of the World War I world. I mean, World War I was such a shattering event for the 20th century. And Sam, our producer, knows this well from teaching mm-hmm. World War I with Chris Garretts and taking students on the World War I trip in the past. Um, and so T.S. Eliot is so interesting because He's someone in his poetry, especially his early poetry that we have students read, The Hollow Men, and in some years past, um, The Wasteland. Mm-hmm. You really, that, that, that chaos of World War I really permeates the, the writing. Um, I mean, sometimes I have students read the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock up against a sonnet by Elizabeth Barrett, you know, Bennett Browning, Barrett Browning, there we go. I think I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, or even Shakespeare sonnets and say, okay, this is what a love song looks like post-World War I, um, where there's, there's apathy and um, ambiguity. And um, we had students read The Hollow Men um, this year. And so, I mean, that one's where, again, when we think about human nature, we start off with this um, really disheartening view of that we are the hollow men. Our voices are quiet and meaningless. We exist in the dead land. Um, and you, you get a sense in the poem that he is trying to hold on for all he's worth to 
snatches of what had been meaning making in the past. And so for thine is the kingdom is a line that pops up in the hollow men, but it's not one that's necessarily allowing the poet to make sense of anything. It's you get the sense of futility, mm-hmm. if anything, that, that he's looking for this to, to, to give meaning and, and, and it doesn't exist. And then in the wasteland, my husband's favorite line from that is, um, again, it's the sense of desperation of how do we make meaning in what is clearly a meaningless world in light of World War I. But the, the line is, these fragments I have shored against my ruin. Oh, and that's mm-hmm. devastating. Carrie, did I feel like you want to say something? Well, it's just the the use of the term fragment because every time I read J. Alfred Prufrock, even but mm-hmm. especially the Hollow Men as well, it's the world is so fragmented, mm-hmm. and the poet is trying to piece together these fragments to make sense of the chaos. Yeah, and I don't know if we are wise to just have students read those poems by T. S. Eliot because. I think it's very interesting that at a certain point in T.S. Eliot's life, he did convert to Anglo-Catholicism as Mm -hmm. his religion. And I don't know enough about his biography to know how serious he was about that. But the poetry does change after that conversion. And so interesting. Yes. And so I sort of think I read to my students The Journey of the Magi, which is one of my favorite T.S. Eliot poems. And really, that's an epiphany poem. (laughs) And and Sam is saying very serious conversion. Okay, Okay. so that's good to know. Okay. Um, And so, yeah, The Journey of the Magi is really an epiphany poem. Um, And I have a hard time reading that one without tears coming to my eyes. But I was just going through um, my husband's copy of T.S. Eliot's Selected Poems, and I ran across... Um, some material I hadn't read before, and it's from a collection of poetry um, from the choruses from The Rock. And there's this line toward the very end in which T.S. Eliot says, and we thank thee that darkness reminds us of light. And I thought, okay, so this is going to be a really dark episode, but I feel like my optimistic self needs to read that line as a way of saying, Mm -hmm. And even in Advent too, right? I mean, Advent is a dark season, but it's theoretically preparing us for light. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe coming. Yes. And we do tend to, I'd say one criticism of sort of Protestant evangelical Christianity is that we want to rush to the resurrection. We want to rush to Christmas morning. We're not good at sitting Mm -hmm. in the bleak and there's, there's something to the, the Christian liturgical calendar that encourages us to sit in that, in that darkness and that confusion for a while. Yeah. We'll see there. There we go. So we can, we can prove to our students that this kind of a podcast is possible. Four books, one theme. There you go. Right? That's right. We told you so. We told you so. <laughs> I bet their podcasts are going to be even better, though. Mm-hmm. I feel oh, I'm, I'm sure they will. Yeah. I'm excited well, for next week when we can reveal the best of the best. I am too. Um, so we also asked our students to talk about what's on their nightstand. And a lot of my students were like, are you out of your, out of your head? I'm not reading anything for fun and haven't for about three months. And so I said they could answer it aspirationally or if they're being savvy, 
they could answer it in terms of what they would like to see in their Christmas presents Mm -hmm. so that they can put it on their nightstand after Christmas. So that's the kind of stuff you're going to hear from my students, but Carrie, what, what is on your nightstand? So still working through them or so investigations, which I am loving. And then my aspirational one that's right underneath that, Sam Mulberry, our producer is going to love this, um, is the happy death, which I am going to, I'm going to follow up with a, an all Camus December, I have decided. So. Man. Mm-hmm. Wow. What about you, Anne-Marie? Um, I am switching gears. So I have switched out of novels temporarily to read one of my favorite historians, and her name is Jill Lepore. She is a very readable historian for the general audience, but I have um, checked out of the library a Bancroft prize-winning book. So this is the big prize for history writers, and it's a book called New York Burning, Liberty, Slavery, and Conspiracy in 18th Century Manhattan. So she connects this burning of New York City by potentially African-Americans, possibly, with also issues relating to freedom of the press. Um, So very interesting. She's a great writer. She regularly writes popularly for the New Yorker magazine. And she also happens to be the author of the biography of Wonder Woman. Oh, fantastic. So she's, if you have, if you pick up one historian other than Lois Banner, my dissertation advisor, Jill Lepore is um, somebody I'd recommend. Oh, very good. Yeah. So maybe for January. Yeah. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, 45th episode, Carrie. Pretty well done us. How much fun. Yeah. Well, so folks, you've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. 